In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We begin the first conference of this retreat entitled the Eucharistic Lord and Our Lady Answers for Our Times, even though the retreat began yesterday evening with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass appropriately, and the homilies are an extended homily part conference, and everything will build on the basic message that God is God. He's good. He's the supreme good. He's the supreme being. He is our father. He is our savior. He is our friend. He is the most holy trinity. One God, three divine persons. He has a plan. He's going to carry it out. And in the end... When you read sacred scripture, the end is a great wedding feast. It ends with a wedding feast. Yes, there's a journey, a struggle, challenges. We'll go into that later today in a conference where uh, Cardinal Diaz, God rest his soul, uh, in 2008 addressed many of the issues that have now come to the surface that we face, but let's always keep our focus on God. Hebrews 12, two, keep your focus on Christ. Hebrews 12, two, keep your focus on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. So the Eucharistic Lord and our lady answers to our times. Well, what is the crisis of our times that we need an answer to? The crisis is the crisis of faith, simply put. Pope Benedict XVI made that clear, and we all know it. It's a crisis of faith, the crisis of faith in the Eucharist, that is Jesus, but do you, people really have that belief in their heart? It would change their life that God is with us and loves us that much and he's present to us and spending time with him 
will really transform us from within and give us the strength to live lives that are sacrificial, which are lives of worship. You know, worship in the Catholic Church is basically sacrificial. We offer sacrifice, right? In our common baptism, we were baptized as priest, prophet, and king into Jesus. And I share in the ministerial priesthood of Christ. I am both priest and victim. But sacrifice to the point of death, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. But we know it doesn't end at the cross. We follow through to the glorious mysteries of the rosary. But there's only one way, one truth, one life, and it's following Jesus Christ. What we're really called to do is imitate Christ. The imitation of Christ is the key. We need to be real disciples, real believers. And in Greek, the word for belief is pisteo, which means to believe, but to put into practice. We, we can't just say, I have head knowledge. I, have, I, I did a Google search on Jesus Christ, and I found some things that are acceptable to me, so I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior in my head. Do you have a, a really deep heart-to-heart -heart relationship with the Lord, like our Blessed Mother? And Our Lady will bring you to Jesus, and Jesus will bring you to the Father. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. And when you come to the Father in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity directs you back to Jesus in the Eucharist and the sacred humanity of Christ. It's a, a beautiful way of life. And there's only one way. This is the purpose and meaning of our lives is to live our baptism in Jesus. In him, we live and move and have our being. So the Eucharistic Lord and Our Lady answers to the crisis of faith. Mary is our mother in faith, the woman of great faith. We'll talk at a conference this afternoon on Our Lady, and we pray for the grace to have her virtues, a lively faith, a certain hope and an ardent charity among other virtues. St. Thomas Aquinas says that faith is the beginning of eternal life. Faith lifts us beyond ourselves. Faith lifts us into the mystery of God. Faith is a big word. I'll share a story with you, a true story. I studied in Rome in the seminary, but completed my studies in the Philippines where I'm with a missionary community. And when I went to the Philippines, we had wonderful professors at Most Holy Rosary Seminary in Naga City, Philippines. And we had comprehensive exams at the end of our theological studies. Four Fridays in a row, we were examined in depth on all the things we had learned during our theological studies. 
And at that time, I knew theology in my head better than ever. But had it come to my heart? Well, here's the story. Right next door to the seminary was a house, a, a tabernacle, the missionaries of charity call them. They call all their houses tabernacles. The missionaries of charity were right next door at a house called the gift of love. And they were serving the poor, the dying, the discarded, the children, you know, living the gospel in radical witness. Jesus says, what you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. And they satiated the thirst of Christ on the cross like Our Lady. So I remember speaking to a missionary of charity from India. And I was sharing with her all these beautiful things of theology, the wonder, the mystery. And, and we should study theology because you, you can't love what you don't know. But what you know should lead you to love. You should come to a loving knowledge the more you know about God. All your knowledge of God should lead you to love him more. It's not just to have knowledge in your mind. It's to lead to a greater love. To know, to love, to serve him, and to be happy with him forever is why we're created. So I was sharing all this theology with a missionary of charity who had been serving Jesus in the poorest of the poor and the distressing disguise of the poor. And she just looked at me. And at that time, I was a brother. I'm still a brother. Even if I'm a priest, I'm still a brother. I'm still a deacon. I, and all those aspects of Christ should be made present in me to you. She looked at me and she said, brother, that's beautiful but I'm gonna pray that you have faith. And I just went. <laughs> and I said, yes, sister, you pray I have faith. Yes, sister, you pray I have faith. Yes, my brothers and sisters, you pray I have faith. We're gonna have a conference just on faith today because what we're facing is a crisis in faith. Some people think faith is just about head knowledge. I know about Jesus, but do you have a living relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist? And the best way to have that relationship is through Our Lady. And that's why the answer to our times is the Eucharistic Lord and Our Lady, the answer to the crisis of faith on your retreat booklets on the front cover, you have this image from one of the visions of St. John Bosco, where the church represented by the boat, the bark of Peter led by the Holy Father is being attacked. If you saw the full picture, it's being attacked but there's two pillars that it comes between to safe harbor. The taller pillar is the Eucharist, the most holy Eucharist. And the other pillar is Our Lady. 
help of Christians. Interestingly, before John Paul, St. John Paul II went to his eternal reward, a couple of years before he was called home, he gave us the year of the Most Holy Rosary and the Luminous Mysteries. And then in the last year of his life, he gave us the year of the Most Holy Eucharist. After all the wonderful teachings and example that he had given us all those years, he knew what the church needed before he went home. Our Lady and the Eucharist. That's what we need. As I said in yesterday's homily slash opening conference, we are beyond human solutions. We've actually always been beyond human solutions, but we're experiencing it now in its fullness. We just keep making things worse with our little programs and approaches, our corporate approaches to things. <laughs> little man losing sight of God and his presence. So we need faith. And that's basically what we'll be talking about most of this conference, faith hope and charity. So you can identify for yourselves where your anxieties and fears and concerns and worries are. It might be your health or all the fear that's being amplified everywhere you turn regarding our health, or it may be the economy, it might be government, it might be the culture, it might even be the church herself. But God has chosen you to be born into this time in the history of mankind to live your baptism in Christ and to change the world by becoming the saints you're created to be, which means basically to live in a state of grace, living sanctifying grace, doing your do daily duty well, being true to your vocation, of course, keeping the commandments and the teachings of Christ given in the church, and living sacramental life. But how you live most of your days is something you need the Holy Spirit to guide you to. If you want to be holy, you need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you want to have a spiritual life, you need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's right in his name, Holy Spirit. Now I'm talking about the real Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We live in a time even where some people will say I'm spiritual, but I don't really believe in church or religion or organized religion or whatever excuse people make. They say, but I'm spiritual. And just let me share, you know, there's fallen spirits. There's evil spirits. So let's not just be 
spiritual, let's have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and be people of God, the Catholic Church. And all are invited to the Catholic Church. Those who are watching, even if you're not Catholic, you are invited. Those of you who may say, well, I've left the Catholic Church. If you've been baptized, you're always Catholic. There's no, I was a Catholic. You are a Catholic. And you're welcome. You only need to come back to the sacrament of penance, confess your sins, and you're back in good standing if you make a valid confession. You're Catholic. You know, some people will say the second largest religion in the United States after Catholic has fallen away. Catholics, you're Catholic. Come home. Because I'll get to this. This is part of God's plan. So let's look at God's plan instead of just where our anxieties, fears, concerns, worries, and other things come from. You do need to identify those, but don't focus on them. Just to acknowledge that they're present. And by the way, the fallen spirits are using indirect oppression, indirect oppression through culture, quote unquote culture today, whatever you call it. It's not very cultured. You know, culture should be cultured like a fine cultured pearl, but you know, whatever culture is, the evil spirits are using indirect oppression through world and governments. People who have given themselves over to just seeking power, thinking they can create reality in their own image and likeness. We'll get to that. They're not living in reality. God is reality, the supreme being. And only when we live in accord with his order and his laws will we actually be free. And God is even using instruments like ourselves to fulfill his plan and overcome this indirect oppression, but be aware that it's there. You know, you say, everybody just has this feeling like, you know, what's going on? It's just, you know, I, that's why you're here. You, you know, the, the, the Eucharist and Our Lady answers for our times. All of you came here because you want an answer, right? Well, the answer is the most Holy Trinity, the most Holy Eucharist, Our Lady, right? Uh, Our Lady's not, God, Our Lady is not the fourth person of the Trinity. That would be heresy, and she would correct you immediately. Mary is a human person, most exalted member of our race, who gave herself fully to the plan of God. And that's what you're here for, is to find out how to give yourself fully to the plan of God that you'll find in the rosary. Your life is in the rosary. All our lives are in the rosary because all our lives are to be centered on Jesus as Mary had her life centered on Jesus. We all have joys and lights and sorrows and glories. We need to keep them connected. So after naming some of the problems and also identifying the answers briefly, let's remember one thing is necessary or one 
the one who is necessary, the most holy trinity, God. And let us remember that faith teaches us, and we need to practice our faith to grow in faith. God is present. God is at work. We don't see the completed project. It's under construction. You know those signs under construction. It's under construction. But God's at work. Oh, it's mysterious because many holy people have confirmed that with me that, you know, we're basically entering the passion of Christ right now in the sorrowful mysteries. We're approaching the cross if we're not already there at Calvary. Where our head went, Jesus, the body must go and never separate the head from the body. We're the body of Christ. And so we must go through what Jesus went through. But remember, it doesn't end at the cross. But it must go through the cross to come to the new life that he won for us in the resurrection and the ascension. He sends us the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to do this. And so I urge you to follow a little teaching of St. Therese of the Child Jesus, who we began this month with on October 1st. She's also Therese of the Holy Face of Jesus. In times of temptation or confusing times, she would say, I consent to the hidden mystery. I don't consent to the evil I see. I don't consent to the temptations, but I consent to the hidden mystery. God's at work. So let's embrace the cross of Christ and serve the plan of God. And let's learn from Our Lady. I I want you to remember these three words from Our Lady. They describe her well. Listen, ponder, treasure. Listen, ponder, treasure. Listen, ponder, treasure. What What were the last recorded words of Our Lady in sacred scripture? Do whatever he tells you. That's all she ever says. She comes to you, my children, do whatever he tells you. When she appears in all the approved appearances around the world at different times, it's the same message. We'll be going into the message at Fatima more deeply, but she's basically saying in a way that we can understand, do whatever he tells you. But we also learn that we need to respond to what he's asking of us the way that she did, which, which was with fiat, which means let it be. Let it be. Let it be done according to thy word. In every mystery of the rosary, in every mystery of life, let it be done unto me according to thy word. How can we say be it done unto me according to thy word unless we know what the word is, though? That's why we need to listen, ponder, and treasure on the word of God. And we'll be going into the word of God 
praying the word of God, showing the, the depths of the holy sacrifice, the mass during this retreat as well. You know, the mass should change your life. I'll just give you a little preview of that conference. For example, early on when Jesus and the priest says, the Lord be with you. That should change your life. The Lord be with you. But how often do we just say, and also with you, and just go to the next thing? The Lord be with you. And if you accept that the Lord is with you, that changes everything, right? Are we just going through motions? See, I think that's why we have a crisis of faith. We need to understand the mysteries as much as we can. We, we, we humble ourselves and like little children, we can then understand those mysteries. And so faith will lift us out of ourselves. Faith lifts us to God and his vision. God is eternal. God is essential. God is goodness himself. He's the supreme being. And he's infinite in power and wisdom. And every other perfect attribute of God. But we get caught up, instead of the eternal, we're caught up in the temporal, the passing, the vanities of life. Currently, we're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, and it's serious. But if you basically look at what's happened since the year 2000, almost every year, the world was going to end. <laughs> the world was going to end in the year 2000, some people said. And then came all kinds of different pandemics from SARS to swine flu to Zika, along the way Ebola, you know, SARS-2 or COVID-19, you know, and along the way there was the economic crash of 2008. So you know, diseases and economies and all these things that pass. The question is, when they come, are we getting closer to God? What were the hidden blessings that you have found? This could be for your own reflection that you have found during this time of the pandemic. Have you found hidden blessings? I can name all the shocking things. I never thought all the churches of the world would ever be closed. But the Lord's working. I can sense the mystery. Maybe the Lord is saying, I'm going to take away all the structures that you rely on because I want you to know me. Wow. If you get close to Our Lady and really learn to know our Lord and 
know that the holy sacrifice, the mask, continued even though the doors to the churches were locked. The priests around the world were offering the holy sacrifice, the mass. And you could just point yourself in any direction in the world towards the Lord in the Eucharist. He's present everywhere in the world. Going through walls, going through spatial things. You know, it's harder. We, we, we need our places of worship opened. And church is essential. Any government leaders, world leaders that are watching this, church is essential. Never force us to close our doors. People need God more than they need you and your solutions. But God loves you. So you should come to church as well. But we all need, you know, we got cut off guard. So we need to re reflect on this and we need to learn to address it. But again, it's not going to be through programs. What was the Lord teaching us? Well, a few things. One, he's always present. Two, family life is critical. You know, hopefully families spent more time together and learned to love each other better. They put down all the busyness of their life and spent time with each other, getting to know each other, husbands knowing their wives, wives knowing their husbands, parents knowing their children, children knowing their parents, and the importance of marriage and family. Uh, we also then should have a greater longing for the holy sacrifice, the mass, and a reverential sacrifice of the mass and the great gift of the most holy Eucharist that should change our life. I have to share, honestly, I think one of the blessings of the uh, situation that we've never faced before where the churches were closed and priests were offering mass with the angels and the saints and you spiritually present. It's my hope that maybe for the first time in a long time, there were no sacrilegious communions received for a period of time. Praise the Lord. We'll be making some prayers of reparation during this conference. Now I'm an optimist and someone who's positive the plan of God ends with a wedding feast. God is our father. God loves us so much as he came and assumed our human nature and died on a cross for us and is present in the Eucharist. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the communion of saints and we have the holy angels and celestial choirs to help us. We have each other, but we are the church militant here on earth. And, uh, you know, we need to understand the battle, we'll, we'll go into some of that a little bit more. I'll give it to you in doses. But sacrilegious communions must cease. That is Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Abortions must end. At least there were some places around the world during this time where abortions were not provided. 
every life is sacred from conception to natural death because God is the creator of life. And so those were some of the blessings. And another blessing I hope is more people just got on their knees and realized how fragile life is. A very well-respected philosopher, Blaise Pascal, following the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas, which teaches that a soul in a state of grace is more beautiful than the whole created universe combined. When your soul is in a state of grace, you're more beautiful than all the stars, for example, in, in the universes. More beautiful than all the flowers that ever have been or ever will be. More beautiful than rivers and seas and birds and all the beauty that we can see in nature. A soul in a state of grace. But as beautiful as we are, Blaise Pascal points out that we're so fragile, we can die by a vapor. You understand what a vapor is? Invisible. If you walk into a place where there's a poisonous vapor, a poisonous fume, you could die. We're that fragile. So let's be real. We need God. The world needs God. And our loving father may have allowed what's happening. Well, he did allow it because everything that happens, never forget this, everything that happens, God either wills or permits. He either wills or permits. And everything he wills or permits is for his glory and our good. Everything he wills or permits is for his glory and our good. Now, God can draw good out of evil, right? Just look at the crucifix. The crucifix is not just homicide, the killing of a person. It's not just fratricide, the killing of a brother. It's the attempt of deicide, the killing of a God. Jesus took on himself all the evils of all of mankind and conquered. Christ is victorious. Never forget that. But nonetheless, everything that happens, God wills or permits. So why did he permit it? There's a lot of good blessings that have come out of this. And frankly, I think that a lot of it is, has been a, a merciful correction but we need to realize that we need God. God is not just a remote power. He's not like the clockmaker who just kind of created the universe and then is no longer interested in us. God has an interest in each one of us individually, personally. He would die for you if you were the only one who ever lived. Wow. God is a trinity. He's not just a solitude. That's important to understand. So God is a communion himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a communion of perfect love, 
perfect knowledge of each other, perfect self-giving, perfect love. And God created because there's a saying in Latin, bonum diffusivum sui, that may not help you, but goodness by its nature diffuses itself. Goodness gives itself away. God is so good, he can even touch evil and make it good. That's a great God. And I'm God's son, and you are God's sons and daughters. Hopefully, you know, we can even touch evil with Christ in us and the Holy Spirit in us, and it can be transformed. Love is what's going to transform the world, but truth is going to set the world free. Love and truth go together, right? But we need to have that communion with God, and how is that communion brought about? Well, first in our baptism, but it's nourished and strengthened in the source and summit of our faith, the Most Holy Eucharist, right? Right? The Most Holy Eucharist. Communion. During the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, when Jesus and the priest says, this is my body, this is my blood, the bread and the wine that's offered is transubstantiated, a new, new, is a new substance, and now it's truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ really, truly, and substantially present. At that point, after the consecration, after the calling down of the Holy Spirit through epiclesis and the words of consecration, it is now the most holy Eucharist, the most holy Eucharist. But when we receive Jesus in a state of grace, it becomes holy communion. That distinction is important to understand. The holy Eucharist and holy communion. Communion means you have a common union with God, a common union with God. What's his is yours and what's yours is his. One holy communion can change your life, but grace is received based on the disposition of the receiver. So we need to be disposed. We'll have a conference on, on the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and being better disposed to be tr consumed and transformed in the fires of divine love. But communion with God, that's why we should also spend time giving thanks after receiving Holy Communion for 20 minutes based on the average person's digestive process. For 20 minutes, you have the physical Lord Jesus in union with you, within you. You should be spending time in thanksgiving. It's said if the angels could be envious, and they can't be, they're not envious, but if they could be envious of little human beings, there's two things that they would like to do that, that we can do that they can't do. One is to receive our Lord in the most holy Eucharist. And the second is to suffer, if only you knew the value of suffering. In fact, getting back to the answer to our times, here's another simple thing. You know, I, I, in conferences, the Holy Spirit leads me to give, give some kind of foundations and some understandings and develop some concepts for you. But then there's some simple, straight points that God wants you to take with you. All of it's important, but here's one of the simple, straight points.
points that God wants you to take with you for the rest of your life and to share with the whole world. The Most Holy Eucharist is an answer to our times because it's a sacrifice, a banquet, and the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. A sacrifice, a banquet, and the presence of God. We live in a world where people don't want to make sacrifices anymore. I don't have time to go into the narcissism of our day and age. Most people might, might not even know what that word means. But how about just the iPhone, I this, I that, I whatever, at a faster and faster speed, living in my own little created world in social media for hours upon hours upon hours. And if I see something I don't like, I just cancel it. It's called cancel culture. Again, not a culture. Wow, living in illusion. Reality is sanity. Sanity is reality. Insanity is living outside of reality. So the Eucharist is an answer to our times. We'll go deeper into it, how the Eucharist is the sacrifice of Christ. There's only one mass. The mass from Holy Thursday to the time Jesus died on the cross and gave up his spirit to the Father. It follows through to the resurrection and the ascension. It's all one mystery, the Paschal mystery, going from the fifth luminous mystery, the institution of the Eucharist and the Holy Priesthood at the Last Supper, all the way through the fifth sorrowful mystery, the crucifixion of our Lord, to the first and second Glorious mysteries, the resurrection and the ascension, that's known as the Paschal mystery. All of that, okay, from the time Jesus started suffering. But in his heart, he was suffering at the Last Supper. In fact, the first Mass, the only Mass, which is represented in an unbloody way on the altar around the world at every moment of time, The mass took 17 hours. Last night, we took an hour and 10 minutes with a little bit extended homily. 17 hours from the time Jesus instituted the most holy Eucharist to the time he gave up his spirit on the cross and everything in between there is the mass. What a mystery. And we need to enter into that. But when you receive our Lord in the Eucharist and you have communion with him, you actually get all the strength to go through what he went through. And believe me, brothers and sisters, you're going to go through it. I hope you're ready. How can I say that with confidence? Because we're baptized into Jesus. In him, we live and move and have our being. What he experienced, we experience. And we should want to. Pointing to our blessed mother, our Blessed Mother was immaculately conceived. She never sinned. The consequence of sin is death, right? 
Mary never sinned. Did, did she need to die? No. But she chose to die a death of love. She wanted to experience everything Jesus experienced. And you should want to experience everything Jesus experienced. I know. How can I do it? He's God. I'm not. Well, you have communion with Jesus in the Eucharist, right? Right? That's what we believe. You have to draw your strength from the Eucharist. In fact, if you go to the, the chaplet of divine mercy, which we really need to pray every single day, please learn how to pray it. I think most of you know how to pray it, but teach others how to pray it, especially when someone's dying, when you pray it in their presence. Jesus says he'll stand there as a, as a merciful savior rather than the just judge. Okay. First of all, make sure a priest gets there and gives them the anointing of the sick and the apostolic pardon, which takes away all the temporal punishment for sin. Straight to heaven. But on the Our Father beads, what are we offering? Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. What are we offering? The most holy Eucharist, right? The body, blood, soul, and divinity in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world when we go through that. I usually meditate on the, just like the sorrowful mysteries, the agony in the garden. I draw my strength from the Eucharist to go have an agony in the garden. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, you've all read how she went through the dark night of the soul for 40 years. Well, there were a lot of reasons for that. One, she was asked to be the light of Christ. To go into those holes where people live in darkness and they don't want Christ because they don't know Christ. That's what he shared with her. So he said, come be my light. So to be able to go into people's darkness, you have to experience the darkness. The good darkness, which means the, the darkness of, of just moving by pure naked faith keeping your hope alive and just doing acts of charity. I'm not talking about the darkness of evil. I'm talking about the purifying darkness of faith, hope, and charity. Mother Teresa prayed that her whole life would be the agony in the garden. You know, you really know how to pray for people when you're really there like Jesus was in, in the garden, sweating blood. His whole body became as a, as a bruise. Scientifically, is shown when you're sweating blood and your capillaries are breaking to let that blood out, his whole body was like one big bruise. And then he went into the other suffering. I mean, just to the touch, he would suffer physically. Most people don't realize that. But he did that for us. But when you pray, what was Jesus praying for in the agony in the garden? You can re reflect on that. Ask your guardian angel to help you understand that. But when you get on your knees and you're praying for a loved one who has a terminal illness or whatever might be the case, and you're really praying in union with them, that's real prayer. That's real prayer. And that's how Jesus prayed for each and every one of us. He saw each and every one of us in the garden. 
So I, I draw my strength from the Eucharist to go to the garden. Then I come back to the Eucharist and then I have the strength to go to the scourging at the pillar. Saying, Lord, every piece of me belongs to you. And I offer it in reparation for all the impurities that are taking place in the world today. I go back to the Eucharist and I draw the strength to go to the crowning of thorns and all the humiliations Jesus had to face. In, in that situation, the Roman soldiers, they thought they were so powerful. There's so many people in this world who think they have power. They have power maybe through military might or economics or government positions or whatever, but they're actually weak. They don't know how to lay down their lives and suffer with patience and meekness and love. And that's what we need to learn. With the Eucharist, you can do it. And with the Eucharist, then I come back and then I can go and go on the stations of the cross. And even if man judges me, government leaders judge me like Pilate judged Jesus and Jesus is God. And Jesus could have called down 12 legions of angels, which means he could have called down 72,000 angels. One angel could have handled it. Michael himself, the whole Roman army, done. <laughs> All these armies of the whole world right now, Michael himself, done. <laughs> Seriously. 72,000 angels? <laughs> we talked about them last night. But Jesus didn't call them down. Because his kingdom is not of this world. He came to testify to the truth of the Father's love. And you go through the stations of the cross. And then you go back to the Eucharist. And then you go to Jesus at the 12th station. Jesus on the cross. And his seven last words. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Mary was given to us as our mother to accept as a gift. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. Jesus thirsts for our thirst. God is an infinite thirst. He thirsts for our love. He thirsts for us. He thirsts for our thirst. And Jesus and Mary gave that thirst to God, but they want us to give that thirst to God through loving trust, total surrender, and cheerfulness. I'll talk about that in the homily. And then it is consummated and Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. There's the divine mercy chaplet. It's going to bring mercy to the world. But there is coming a time of justice. There are four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. I urge you to review them in the Catechism of the Catholic Church and keep them before you every day. Ultimately, in the end, we're going to end in one of two places, heaven or hell. And there is a hell. We don't want to end up there. And we don't want anyone to end up there. But there will be judgment. And God's judgment and mercy are perfect. Now is actually the, still the time of mercy. But we pray the divine mercy chaplet and we draw strength from the Eucharist. So the Eucharist is a sacrifice. And the Eucharist will give us the strength to sacrifice in the ultimate ways. 
I'm not talking just about biting your tongue when somebody says something in a way that you disagree with and we act like we've done something heroic. Well, it, it's, it's, it's heroic the first time you do it, but people are gonna disagree with you. Actually, we're living in a time which Isaiah talked about where basically wicked people, they're doing evil and wicked actions. We believe everybody's created in the image and likeness of God, but they've given themselves over to evil and wickedness. Wicked people are saying that evil is good and good is evil. You better know the truth. God is good and only God is good. And the truth will set you free. But just because someone disagrees with you, there's no reason for you to lose your interior peace. But you need the Eucharist to have that and to have the wisdom to know how to help people, to love them, which means to desire their good. Remember, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who persecute you. Now, loving someone can be the spiritual work of mercy of correcting the sinner or admonishing the sinner or instructing the ignorant or counseling the doubtful. Those are works of mercy. But the Eucharist teaches us to sacrifice. The Eucharist is also though that meal, that banquet, that Paschal banquet that allows us to have communion with God. I talked about that earlier, communion with God, common union, it's a banquet. Okay, the sacrifice and the meal go together. If you look back in the Old Testament at the Passover and, and we're getting ready for a new Passover, that's what Jesus came to do. That's what he did in the mass, actually. He brought about the new Passover, but ultimately there's gonna be the Passover from this world to heaven. In the Old Testament, it was out of Egypt, a place of slavery and darkness and oppression and death and God delivered the people and led them to a promised land where they could worship God. But there's gonna be the ultimate new Passover. But when you look at the Passover sacrifice, which is now Jesus, the Lamb of God, in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass in the Eucharist, in the Old Testament, just like now, when there was this, the lamb who was sacrificed, you needed to also eat the lamb. See, some theologians will argue, is it, is it a sacrifice or is it a meal? It's both. The lamb that's sacrificed must be eaten, right? That's where that, we go back to that sister who looked at me and said, I'll pray you have faith. Because <laughs> sometimes we can get really confused and lose sight of the simplicity of the beauty of how the Eucharist was prefigured in, in the Old Testament in so many ways. For example, the manna in the desert. But realize that everything Jesus does is the fullness of what was prefigured and it always surpasses what was prefigured in the Old Testament. 
So in the Old Testament, people ate the manna and died still, but in the new sacrifice, the Eucharist is the medicine that can give us immortality if we put the Eucharist into practice. So you have sacrifice, you have meal or banquet, and then you have presence, and that's where Eucharistic adoration comes in. And your belief that he's really present, really, truly, and substantially present. So this concludes the morning conference of this retreat entitled The Eucharistic Lord and Our Lady. Remember, she's the woman of the Eucharist. The Eucharistic Lord and Our Lady answers for our times. Please pray on your role in helping people embrace these answers. But you can't give what you don't have. But you can't keep what you don't give away. So let's continue to be open. And let's prepare well for the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.